Welcome to the Expat Cast. This is the podcast where expats share stories about fitting in, standing out, and every mishap on their journey to feeling at home abroad. I'm your host, Nicole, and as you may have gathered, I'm rather sick. I don't have any special announcements today, so I'm going to dive right into this week's episode. My guest is Melissa, or some of you may know her from the online community as Intentional Expat. She got her PhD in clinical and health psychology while she lived abroad in Spain. And she also lived in the Netherlands for a little bit before very recently moving back to the United States where she is from. Melissa now works as a life coach and she specializes in all things expat. Now I mentioned that she's active in the online community and of course I'll plug this at the end of the episode and link to it in the show notes, but she has a really great Instagram where she posts about topics that a lot of people might not feel comfortable sharing with themselves but would like to see on their feeds. She pulls from her own experience as an expat and a repat as well as from her profession and research and has just a ton of great content and she definitely is one of these people who she puts stuff out there that gives me that feeling of like oh this is a thing it's not just me who feels this way there's a name for it or it's a common feeling so I really would recommend following her on Instagram at intentional expat but for now you can sit back relax and listen to our conversation about imposter syndrome as an expat I hope you enjoy I'm Melissa Parks. Um, I'm living right now in Seattle, Washington in the U.S., which is actually where I grew up. Um, But I've only been here for the past six months now because uh, previously I spent 10 years living abroad, seven years in Madrid, Spain, and three years in Amsterdam, the Netherlands. I'm a recent uh, repat to the United States. So very cool and exciting. And that's a long time to to be away and then come back. (laughs) I'm really excited because... We are going to take on the topic today of imposter syndrome, which you know you and I connected via Instagram. And I have to say, I don't know that I'd really fully formulated this feeling I'd been having into words. I'd heard of imposter syndrome, of course, in my life in the US, but it wasn't a term that was really on my mind when I was navigating my own expat journey. And I think I saw a post of yours that sort of put it into words in a way that really clicked with me. And I... I was so grateful for that because it really helped me contextualize what I was experiencing and also normalize it. You know, it's a thing that happens to a lot of people. And yes, and so then I'm even more excited that we're having this conversation today to help continue that conversation. So thank you for being here and signing on for this topic. (laughs) Oh, I'm so excited. You got me even more excited about the topic too. And I think there's a really like a hunger to talk about this. Yeah, absolutely. Because I think, so I'll start with a quick little tidbit about my own personal life. Um, I have been at my first real professional job in Germany almost exactly a year. And this was also my first time working in a completely German environment. So speaking German all day, every day and being the lone outsider, being in a fully German cultural space. And my job is completely in my field. I have a master's in this subject. I have a lot of experience from the US that does transfer. I even got my paperwork in order. Germany recognized my degree. These people decided to hire me. So clearly 
they thought it was all good. But I cannot tell you how convinced I was that one day I was going to wake up and go to work and that was going to be the day where they finally realized I'm not really good enough for this job. And a lot of those insecurities stemmed from these cultural things and from these language things because my German frankly, wasn't that great back then. And it was hard for me to accept or believe that someone might be willing to take a chance, that they might see something in me that's worth a couple months of me stumbling through sentences before things even out in order to get to a place where I could really give them my best. Like, I just didn't think that that could possibly be the case. (laughs) I'm nodding along right now. Like, yes, I've been there. (laughs) Yeah. And I think it's confusing too, because I'm a very, I try to be a very realistic person, especially when I notice, you know, I'm I'm familiar with the fact that this might be an issue that people might have. And so I'm, I'm more sort of taking a meta level approach to the process that I'm going through, but I'm also trying to be realistic about it. And, you know, I was like, it's not that I think I'm lesser than in any way. It's just to some extent, I am genuinely unqualified because I am not fully able to communicate without mistakes and without hesitation and confusion. And so in that sense, like I'm not wrong to be thinking that I'm unqualified. However, at the same time, the people who decide if if I'm good enough or not decided I was good enough. So at some point I have to listen to them. And these these two things just battled in my head until I said, I'm at a year mark now and I just had my performance review and a lot of reflecting came in with that. And I was looking back on this year and, and how far I've come, but also how I, to some degree, still feel those ways, especially in moments when some days my German's worse than others or some days my American background really comes out in a way that clashes with the German culture. So I think it's an ongoing process. Oh, man. Yeah. Like I said, I'm nodding along as you're saying this. I'm like, yeah, like this sounds familiar for me, for the clients I've worked with. And also, I just want to mention, like, as you asked me to reflect on, like, moments I've experienced imposter syndrome. And I think we could do, like, a whole series of me just talking about moments in my life where I've experienced it. So um, (laughs) my kind of feeling about imposter syndrome is that, I mean, research shows that. 70% 70% of people experience it at one point in their lives. I, and I think such a big problem is like, we don't talk about it enough, right? So you just, like you were saying, you don't even really fully realize what's going on at the moment, like that it's happening. And then you also don't necessarily talk about it with other people and know, discover that like, oh, hey, other people feel this too. So maybe it's not fully true, right? <laughs> and maybe my mind is kind of running away with Right, absolutely. Uh, And then even I would have times where I would talk to someone, but they would be like, no, you're fine. You're doing great. And I just would be like, well, you're, you're incorrect somehow. Like you're just being a supportive person in my life right now. And you're not looking at the situation realistically. Uh, Yeah. And and I know you and I, when we were emailing back and forth, we talked about this idea of like trying to like tease apart, like, is this a skill issue or is this a mindset issue and it sounds like that's kind of what was you were having that battle back and forth in your mind right of like is this skills and my is like my German level not high enough like is that kind of a skills thing that you you know you just need time to practice and work on or is it a mindset thing right is it like a story that your mind is telling you and you need tools to to step away from that and not get wrapped up in it I loved when you put those words in that way in our emails because that totally encompasses what I was going through. And I think especially for expats or immigrants, however they're defining themselves, there's this feeling of outsider. And I think it does, it it can very easily slip into your mindset in ways that you might even 
not even notice. And again, it, it does slip into your skill set. Mm-hmm. You have a different skill set than the people around you. So there's validity to it, but also it is just a game your mind is playing with you sometimes. And so it's hard to tease that out. Yeah, it's so true. And so imposter syndrome is more common amongst people who feel more like outsiders. Like they look at their peers and see themselves as different. So that can be like, it tends to be more common with women. It tends to be more common with minorities. And so I think it can be more common with expats. Um, just because, yeah, you look around and it's like, I'm not the same as all of these people around me. Absolutely. And I don't know how, to what extent you're comfortable talking about your work with different expats with coaching and therapy. So I, um, for the past five years, I worked as a therapist. I worked in mental health for like the past 15 years. Um, And then more recently, I switched to coaching. And I can talk a little bit about that later and how that brought up imposter syndrome for me because of my degree not being recognized here in the U.S. So yeah, so now now I work as a coach and it, I do work with expats and imposter syndrome comes up with most people at some point. It's interesting about the language piece that you mentioned because I think I didn't experience that myself. I had, I think, maybe an, an uncommon experience with the, the language. For me, somehow, that really helped me with my imposter syndrome, like moving to Spain and needing to speak in Spanish. It, I think somehow I saw it as there's no way I can try to fit in. You know, there's no, um, I'm like really blonde and pale skin and, and I just stand out and like um, sometimes even in the U S and so there just, I knew there was no way I was ever going to be mistaken for being Spanish. Um, so somehow that removed a lot of pressure for me to, to perform perfectly in the language. So with my clients, often what I see is that they have felt like very, competent and capable in their lives back at home. And then they come into another country and often, yeah, with that like language piece as well. And suddenly they can't do kind of, they can't perform in the exact same way. And um, a lot of their kind of vulnerabilities are being exposed more. And I think that's really hard. If it's not something you've had to experience before, like I said, if you're used to just doing a really good job. Yeah. I'm so glad that you mentioned that perfectionism can play into that because that's also something that that I've struggled with and I would totally ditto your point about how moving abroad and and having to make life work in a second language can help you break through that because you probably have no choice but to be not perfect most of the time. (laughs) And I think that's really one of the most beautiful and helpful things about my expat journey. Because yeah, that's something that comes up a lot with imposter syndrome is that fear of failure too. Like I have to do things perfectly. I can't be seen for being human. Well, and I found even with my, you know, annual performance review in Germany, you know, if I'm giving a range of four options from not meeting expectations to exceeding expectations, my American overachieving perfectionist mindset is like, well, obviously you're going for exceeds expectations on all points. And that's just not in the German culture. Like they were like, that would literally never happen. And so even that level of it's not even on the table for you to be as perfect as you want to be. You're making me think too of like a lot of clients I've worked with who yeah, in similar situations, right. Have like have, are having sort of their first professional job outside of their home country. And I think the difficult thing is there's no like control group in, in life, right? Like you can't say this would be exactly as difficult if I was back in the U S but I suspect it would be right. But you just don't like your first performance review probably would be difficult and you might still have difficulty with imposter syndrome too, but you don't know that you, because there's no, you can't compare it. And so what I see is that it's this moment in life that would already be difficult. 
And then it's just even more difficult because of the fact that you're abroad. It's like you said, there can, it's not only like maybe you're outside of like the kind of school system. And so you're not getting like the grades and the feedback the same way that you were um, back in school. And then also you might be in a culture in a country, there's just not the same type of like external validation. And so you mentioned when we were chatting that there are different types of imposter syndrome. I was hoping that you could walk us through some of them. Full disclosure, I did not come up with this list. (laughs) This is a type that, these are um, five types of imposter syndrome that were identified by Dr. Valerie Young, who is an expert on imposter syndrome and wrote a book about it called The Secret Thoughts of Successful Women, Why Capable People Suffer from Imposter Syndrome and How to Thrive in Spite of It. So I think that's just, there's some, a really important message there, which is that people who are suffering from imposter syndrome like usually these are like incredibly capable people. So it's just so strange, like the things that our minds can do to trick us. So um, the first one, the first type that we kind of already talked about, the perfectionist, right? So it, it goes right hand in hand with, um, um, with imposter syndrome. And another thing that happens there too is that perfectionism often goes hand in hand with um, procrastination. Right. So because if you're afraid of failure, then, you know, you're pushing things off as much as possible until the last minute. And then procrastination can lead us to like criticize ourselves. So it just can create like a whole vicious cycle there. The other one she mentions is the superwoman or superman. We also kind of already talked about that. It's like needing the external validation to feel good about yourself. How I see it showing up in my clients is like they put all of their energy into like one area of their life of like and they need to be excellent at that. Um, again, no room for failure there. Um, and, and usually it's work that ends up happening. And then their personal life suffers a lot. Right. Um, the other one is the natural genius. And I see this one a lot too, where it's, um, you know, maybe your whole life you've like, done things really well. Maybe you got a lot of praise for your intelligence and performance, and then you get out of school and get kind of into the real world. And it's just not set up to have the same kind of structure. There's a lot more uncertainty and you're probably surrounded by other highly intelligent and successful people too. One thing that came to mind for me about that one is uh, I have a friend who was one of the Forbes 30 under 30 wow. a, a few years ago. Yeah. And, and she was sharing with me about how, how strong her imposter syndrome was when they all got together um, for like, they, they had like a special event where they all got to meet in person. And she said, it wasn't just her, it was, she said, you could see it. Everyone's imposter syndrome was being activated because suddenly you're not special. You're surrounded by other people who are all, you're all special, right? Like in your, your own ways, but you're not like the specialist right. sort of person in that moment. There's still 30 yeah. of you. <laughs> exactly, exactly. Yeah, so there's that one. And then there's also the soloist. So that's somebody who's like, I not only do I need to do it well, but I have to do it um, all on my own. And asking for help would be showing that like I'm not capable. Ooh, that one's really interesting, especially in the context of expat life, because sometimes people living abroad don't feel like they are entitled to the same governmental supports that exist for locals. Sometimes people have the feeling that that's not for them and that they it's their job as as the outsider, as the foreigner, as the immigrant to make it work without taking advantage of anyone's systems. And so I could see that being something that almost heightens someone's tendency to do that. Or also just the fact that a lot of people in expat life are very 
isolated in a lot of ways and that even if they did have people they they might know they might feel like this is their own journey and that they can't turn to these people or to this help exactly yeah I recently was just thinking about the topic about when you move abroad you kind of are told you know I'm how impressive and like to to go abroad and it's an independent thing and it's very courageous and then somehow like we think okay if I'm being independent then I'm not allowed to rely on other people whether that's friends or, you know, support of like a therapist or a coach or, um, you know, like you mentioned too, so maybe there's some government support that could help you. You know, somehow we think that we can't ask for help. And I think uh, we need to change that story. Well, because it, it's a vulnerable thing, right? To ask for help. I think a lot of this goes to the fact of like that we, that it's scary to like put ourselves out there and like, and, and seem vulnerable. I don't know if you are familiar with Brene Brown, oh, um, but I recommend yep. <laughs> yeah, I recommend her all the time to my clients. I'm always shocked like when somebody hasn't hasn't heard of her before. But I just love all of her stuff about, you know, being vulnerable, talking about shame, like bringing this stuff to, to the light. So we can just kind of be human together. So I'll link to all of her stuff in or not all of it because she's got too much, but I'll link to some <laughs> of her stuff in the show notes um, for people who don't know her. Oh, um, she, her background is in social work, but she's also, but now, yeah, she's um, a professor and researcher and she, yeah, kind of her main topics that she talks about are shame, vulnerability, perfectionism. And she also has a Netflix special that she, that's, I think also a really nice way if people don't, aren't interested in checking out her books, you can check out that. Or she has a TED Talk that's really uh, popular too. Uh, and I'll give a little plug. Like, I love all of these topics and these type of things I love to engage with, but also sometimes the conversations around them just come off as so campy-dippy, like lost in the air kind of a thing. But the way mm-hmm. she does it has this edge to it. She's got this sort of like, yeah. I feel like her Texas identity really comes out and she's this like very down to earth. Yeah. She's not soft about it, but she also is because that's vulnerability. And, and she's got just the most magical mixture of qualities that really makes her message land. I would totally agree. I mean, I love that everything she's doing is like grounded in research, but you're so right. I think sometimes people avoid things like vulnerability because they do seem really soft and, and maybe even kind of woo or something, but they're not like it's, you have to be really strong and courageous to ask for help and to admit that you don't know everything and admit that you've experienced imposter syndrome. I think it's actually really courageous to do it. So I realized I didn't I didn't say the fifth one yet of the, the type of yes. imposter syndrome. And it's the expert. So the expert, yeah, you just you feel like your sense of self-worth is really dependent on how much you know. And you can't take the next step to try something until you feel like you know everything about it. Um, which is a pretty impossible task to set yourself up. Oh gosh, I think of language with this. Honestly, I, I for yeah. so long I had the feeling that, you know, until I know every word and the dictionary and I can formulate every sentence perfectly, it's not enough until I get to that point. And, yeah. and then at some point you realize like, I'm never going to reach that. I'm not at that level in my mother tongue. What? No, this is ridiculous. Yeah. But you can totally, I yeah, oh man, that one screams out to me a little yeah. bit. Yeah. <laughs> I found too, or kind of just like realized maybe even just in the past year or something is that the more I know, like the more I become aware of what I don't know. And so, yeah, it almost like sets you up to feel like you don't know about things, like, because you're just so aware, you're so much more aware of like, well, the language, right? Like you're so much more aware of when you don't have the word on the tip of your tongue. Whereas like maybe when you first started, like that wasn't even, you know, you're just trying to get words out. Oh, that's so true as well. 
you know just how many mistakes you're making, but you maybe can't fix them. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Yeah. So, and I think just something I wanted to say about those types of imposter syndrome, like I think that they really overlap and you might even find like one feeling stronger at one point and another one at another point. It's not like I am a perfectionist and that's my type and I'm not like anything else. I mean, I think they can all, they can all show up. And, and I think they do show up in different ways in expat life. And I think one, I, I, I would say that there's like an expat imposter syndrome too, of just feeling like everyone else is doing it so well. Like everyone else is like, you know, a natural at living abroad and something is wrong with me or I'm going to be found out because it's not going as smoothly for me. Well, and I also feel like there's a lot of pressure that comes through making that choice to move abroad, especially, well, I know a lot of Americans who, when they make this decision to leave home, they have this community back home that's, Americans are very active on social media. And so they're sort of, they have certain ideas of what life in Europe might look like. And they're expecting to see that on their Facebook feed from you. And if your life might not quite look like that, which I think most of ours don't, (laughs) maybe there's some conflict there. And there's this, this desire to sort of make that reality true, because that's kind of what they're what people are expecting Mm -hmm. of you. But it's, it's often not I mean, the life reality is just very different from what people might think. And wherever you are in the world, you're going to end up struggling with a lot of the same things you had back home. (laughs) Oh, exactly. Yeah. Your baggage like comes with you and follows you along wherever you go. So this is a great transition into what do we do with it? So we can maybe yeah. admit that we have it. <laughs> how do yeah. we cope with imposter syndrome or how do we make it a positive if, if that's even possible? I, I definitely have some some ideas about it. I would say that I think a lot of times what people want to do, like when we have any kind of thought or feeling that just like makes us not feel good, like imposter syndrome or worries or feeling sad. Like there's this thing inside of us that like really wants to get rid of them. And I always tell my clients, like, I don't have like a magic eraser. Like we can't go into our mind and just like erase these things. And actually when we do, we often create a lot more problems. I don't know if you've ever heard people say this idea of like, don't think of a pink elephant. And then, you know, what is the thing that probably comes to mind as you're trying to not think of a pink elephant? The pink elephant. Yeah, (laughs) exactly. Yeah. And it's the same thing. Don't have imposter syndrome, right? Like it's just going to make it stronger. And it's also because like imposter syndrome is coming from a protective place. I think like recognizing that is one thing that can help us. It's like coming from a place of trying to keep us safe, right? Because it's usually coming up in moments where you're being exposed a bit, right? Like you're um, being exposed to possible like rejection or failure, or, you know, these things that our brains are wired to help protect us from dangerous things. And sometimes it, they aren't really like good at like gauging which things are actually like life or death situations, hmm. right? The things that you're doing at work, your brain might interpret it as dangerous in the same way as it would interpret like you crossing the street in a car racing towards you. And that's right. not not the case but so it's not helpful to say, hey brain, stop it, because it is trying to do something helpful. But it can be helpful to say like, hey, I see what you're trying to do. Thank you for trying to protect me. And I'm going to do this thing that's really important to me right now, even though it's scary, mm-hmm. even though you're, I'm doubting myself. So something you can just practice asking yourself is like, what story is my mind telling me right now? So I'll do things with clients, like having them label like, oh, that's imposter syndrome 
or even maybe getting creative and like drawing, like what does the imposter syndrome monster look like? Um, it kind of depends on like what is more your style, but for people who are more creative too, that can be a great thing just to notice like, uh, okay, imposter syndrome is here. I see it. And it, it doesn't have to like run the show right now. It's almost like how when you finally have the word for the thing you've been struggling with, it's a lot easier to cope with it. It's sort yeah. of like you give yourself this visual of what this thing is and then you can see it yeah. clearer. And I want to say too, think of imposter syndrome as kind of like a shape shifting kind of thing. Sometimes I don't notice it until much later on. Like I'll realize I was procrastinating and then you're like, oh yeah, this was because I wasn't feeling like capable enough or I was thinking about fear of like being found out. And, and so it's tricky. Like it takes a lot of practice and I don't think, I think you're never going to be an expert at combating imposter syndrome. So Mm -hmm. it's a journey. Another thing I just wanted to say too, is that I talked before about how one thing that happens is when we can feel really bad when we kind of base our sense of self-worth on the reaction from others or like promotions at work or getting kind of positive praise. And, and like you brought up too, right? Like sometimes we're not going to get that in the, a certain environment that we're in, maybe because of the, what the country is like. And so there we can really work on trying to um, work on our internal validation. So instead of like, you know, needing to get praise from others, like we can give ourselves praise. So doing things like trying to keep track of like things that you're proud of. So I I know for me, I really like to like, like at the end of each month, kind of go back and, and make a little note of things that I'm proud of, even if they're small, but that they were things I know were hard for me to do. Uh, that can make such a difference of just like kind of looking at those positives. I really love that one. And I think that's one that I've unknowingly been doing since I moved abroad, because I think that's another Mm. positive about being an expat in the situation is it's almost like starting new as a toddler, right? And you have certain milestones that you reach in a way that in a sort of more straight trajectory, staying where you're from, you might not quite have these same visible markers you know like the first time I could get through a big meeting in German and not feel like I made a big fool of myself like I really felt that (laughs) because I'd had a couple where I did feel like a fool um I mean I know like dealing with the different offices trying to get my paperwork in order was another version of this and I'd had so many situations where I felt like I needed to take a German friend because I don't think I could do it on my own and then the first time that I left a meeting like that and realized, oh, wait, I just did that on my own. And that's not something I could have done before. And so when I do step back and and reflect, I'm like, oh, oh, wow, that was another moment. And even just that thought is sometimes enough of a trophy to make yourself feel like, wow, hey, cool. Then other times I do also celebrate, (laughs) I throw myself little little parties or do little treat myself in in one way or another to give a little bit more of like an external solo validation you know yeah I think you you have to have both right I think you have to have like the actual like celebration sometimes and then also and then other times it can just be like figurative or an actual like pat on the back something that I found super helpful for me and it's been really helpful when I've incorporated with my clients too is self-compassion so I've I'm trained to teach um, a course that's called mindful self-compassion that's offered all over the world there's also like a mindful self-compassion workbook that people can do can use on their own and it's all about trying to replace your inner critic and inner critic I think it's like imposter syndrome it's like a version of our inner critic so it's like in replacing that with a more like compassionate inner coach 
And it's just really cool. I mean, there's tons of research showing how helpful it is. And I can just speak from personal experience too. It's so helpful when we're having a hard time. Our tendency is to be harder on ourselves, try to get ourselves like snapped out of it. And the self-compassion work is all about just trying to be there for yourself in those moments. Yeah. And give yourself feedback of just like being a human and doing the hard work of being a human. That made me think of another sort of strategy that I'd use. Part of my journey with dealing with this imposter syndrome was being a little bit more, to me, it felt compassionate with myself because I couldn't reckon Mm -hmm. this realistic, logical side of me that was kind of saying like, well, you do have flaws or you do have weaknesses in this context with the side of me that wanted to just kind of say like, oh, it's just a mindset thing. So what I ended up sort of coming to was this idea of like, well, I kind of am an imposter in a lot of ways, right? Like I need to take the chance with myself and trust that like, hey, maybe I'm not really fully there language wise right now, or maybe I don't fully understand the workplace culture yet, but that's okay. You know, I'm faking it till I make it kind of. And that's, you know, almost addressing the imposter syndrome head on and being like, you know what, you are an imposter and that's okay. It it makes me think of one of the founders of this program. I mentioned the Mindful Self of Compassion program. He was so passionate about it because he struggled for a long time with public speaking and feeling like an imposter with public speaking because he would do it, but he would feel so much shame around it. And so like his inner critic was so loud. And he said what he realized was that once, well, once he recognized it as imposter syndrome, he recognized like, oh, I need to be self-compassionate and I need to have empathy for myself of like that this is really hard and it's really scary to put myself out there and, you know, risk being rejected by the people I'm speaking to. And somehow just doing that allowed him to like give himself permission to feel that, feel like an imposter and, and do it anyway. Did you, because you mentioned that you had another round of imposter syndrome when you were sort of transitioning back to the States and switching from yeah. therapist to coach. Would you mind telling yeah. us a little bit about what that was like and how you got through that? Yeah, so I, I already kind of had a, a, a related episode of imposter syndrome, I think, when I finished my PhD. This happens a lot. I found out by people when they finish their PhDs. It's like you kind of think, oh, I'm going to get this degree and they're going to you know, give me the diploma and the permission to put that PhD behind my name. And then, you know, I'm going to be immune from imposter syndrome. <laughs> I mean, I didn't. I, it took me a while to realize I had that thought going on. But that was that was a really hard moment. And I think I think part of me thought like once I'd gotten through that, that I was immune to imposter syndrome. Right, like, again. I did it. I had it. I got past it at the end. Yeah. So what happened was when uh, I decided to move back to to the U.S. earlier this year, what that meant was that um, I I did my graduate education and all like my supervision over in Europe. And it would have been years of additional training to be able to work as a therapist here in the U.S. And so it took a lot of reflecting about, you know, what do I want to do with my career? But at the same time of doing that reflecting, like, yeah, imposter syndrome showed up back full force. Like, oh, like you can't call yourself a therapist anymore now. Like, what does that even mean about who you are and the decisions you've made? All of these things. So it was tough. And I would say that I'm only just like in the past couple of months kind of realizing what was going on, realizing that it was imposter syndrome and feeling oh, feeling good about, about the decision I made too, about what I'm doing next with my career. And I think also one thing I've realized, we talked before about how like going abroad can help you to like break through kind of some of your mindsets about like how being perfect and, and stuff like that. What I think I'm realizing too, that part of my repatriation journey is 
needing to like redo that work back here in the country where I grew up, especially in the U.S. that is like highly competitive and, you know, our sense of self-worth is so wrapped up in our performance. So I think that's a piece too of just like coming face to face again with like, oh, wow. Okay. I just like almost automatically sink back into some of that perfectionism here in the U.S. Right, because I think it's culturally rewarded in so many ways. I mean, I don't think it's a coincidence that so many of us from the States share that need to exceed career-wise, to be perfect, all these kind of things. These are such common struggles for us as Americans. And yeah, I think it ties into the culture that we grew up in. And, And it is interesting, too, because I've supported a lot of clients through that journey. I definitely have a pretty full toolbox of things I can use. But it's not always enough to like to support myself, right? And and I think that's where you know I worked with a coach in the past. I have currently I'm going to see a therapist, and it's because I you know it's like a dentist. A dentist can't go like <laughs> fix their own teeth. Like right. I have to be able to like lean on professionals too. Yeah, absolutely. So we're getting to the end, but um, I wanted to give the last word to you. Do you have any wise words to transition us out of the show with? So I think if I haven't said it enough yet, I think just my takeaway that I want to leave everyone with is that imposter syndrome is telling us that something is wrong with us and that we're a fraud, but that it, it's not true. And it's something that so many successful people struggle with. And in um, doing like just a little preparation for the show to talk about this, I came across this quote by Maya Angelou where she said, um, I've written 11 books, but each time I think, uh-oh, they're going to find me out now. I've run a game on everybody and they're going to find me out. Oh my God, that's exactly it. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. So we can have imposter syndrome. We maybe we can't fully get rid of it, but we can learn ways to not have it stop us contributing important work, whatever that means, right? You don't have to be my Angelou, but you know, (laughs) like being, being with your friends or, or living your best life abroad, whatever is important to you. That was absolutely perfect. We are going to round the corner now and head to home with our ending segment, which is called Zack, Zack, Zack. It's a rapid fire question round where I'm going to ask you three questions that you're going to answer without thinking it, overthinking it. Just go with your gut. Are you ready? As ready as I'll ever be. (laughs) (laughs) What is the very best thing about being back in the U.S. for fall? It just so happens to be that this fall, my sister had a baby. So I just was home for my new nephew's birth. So not that it doesn't happen every fall, but <laughs> it was really nice to be here for that. Oh, that's amazing. You know, I was waiting for the answer to be pumpkin spice lattes, but that was way better. <laughs> <laughs> that came up for me actually as my first thing, but I don't like them. <laughs> <laughs> Good. Okay. Um, number two, if you could magically transport one item from a Spanish grocery store directly into your kitchen at this very moment, what would it be? It would be jamón. Jamón is ham, like this typical Spanish ham. And we just went to a restaurant this weekend where it was like one ounce for $18, which is like, we looked up like 25 grams. It's just, it was so sad. What? It was so sad to see oh, that, yeah. Jeez, rough. Okay. And <laughs> finally, what is your favorite common Spanish name? So when you were living there and hearing all these people's different names, what was the one that really tickled oh, you? Sophia. But I love Sophia with an F. That one's fun to say too, Sophia. Yeah, top name for future children in mine and my husband's life. So yeah, wonderful. 
Beautiful. Okay, well, that is the end of the show. Can you please tell people where they can find you? Because you are such a wonderful person full of wise words. And I would love it if more people could could follow along. Oh, thank you, Nicole. Thanks for that external validation. (laughs) (laughs) You can find me um, on my website, which is www.intentionalexpat.com. And also on most social media places, uh, searching for intentional expat. Great. We will link to all of that in the show notes. And I'm also going to link to, if it's okay with you, your episode on the Expat Hour podcast, because that was really fun. We got to hear your whole story. And you have such an interesting story of how you ended up in in Spain and then the Netherlands. And obviously, that wasn't the focus of today's talk. But I, you know, for anyone who wants more of you, I, I really would recommend that episode. Okay, yeah, that would be wonderful. Yeah, you get the background story of my journey there. Perfect. Cool. Well, thank you so very much for coming onto our show and taking on this great, great, great topic. And I also am going to preemptively thank you on behalf of the listeners, who I'm sure there's going to be several who (laughs) this one really hits close to home. So thanks on their behalf as well. Yeah, you're so welcome, Nicole. Thank you for giving me the opportunity to talk about it because it's something I'm really passionate about. Spreading the word out that you're not alone. One more big thank you to Melissa for coming onto the expat cast links to the different resources and ideas that we've mentioned are in the show notes as well as Melissa's social media and website. And I'm also linking to the episode of expat hour where she was a guest. And if you don't know the show expat hour, I would really recommend it. It's a really great podcast, kind of a similar vibe to this one where you get to glimpse into expats lives all over the world. Thank you as always to Amy Lungy Art for our beautiful podcast logo and to Side Hug for our theme music. They're on Instagram at a hug from the side and we're on Instagram too at the expat cast. We're also at the expat cast on Twitter and you can email us at the at gmail.com. If you have a second, please, please, please rate and review the show on Apple Podcasts because that is the biggest and best thing you can do to help this podcast out. We'll be back in your feeds next Thursday with an episode about intercultural relationships. I promise I don't say it with that weird sing-songy voice every time. Until then, have a great week. Cheers!